is a phrase in Japanese that um, has often come to me in uh, moments like this, in you know, uh, giving a talk on retreat, um, and it's uh, it's otsukare samadeshita, otsukare samadeshita, which means um, thank you for your efforts, or maybe the maybe a more accurate translation is a thank you for making your best effort and um, it's a very useful phrase to know in japan because it's often um you know, there just seem to be many contexts where you know like at the end of the work day colleagues will say to each other will bow and say you know, thank, thank you for your efforts today. Um, I've even seen um, in Tokyo, you know, police officers standing and, you know, whatever, guarding something or doing, and little children walking by and turning and saying, Otsukarisama desita. <laughs> you know, thank you for your efforts <laughs> to the police. <laughs> and... Um, So I, I thank you for your efforts here. And um, you know, doing a practice like this is, is not easy. And, um, and one of the things I love about this phrase is there's something about acknowledging the effort, you know? And um, it's not thank you for um, getting a great result. Or thank you for um, doing what I want you to do, or thank you for looking good, or you know, um, you know, following every breath, or um, you know, not dropping your plate fully, or you know, whatever. Is thank you for your efforts. Thank you for um, how you how you tried, how you did this. And, and I think that's something unique about this practice that um, the quality of the effort we make is not, it's not something that's incidental or it's like, you know, we're all here to get some certain result and just, just get there, however you, you know. It's actually how we do something. Um, how we um, relate to what's happening, how we relate to ourselves, is that's it. That's the whole game, you know. And so I think in, in a kind of usual activity in life, we uh, we do something and we expect to get a result. You know, um, you push this button, this happens. Um, and in our practice in meditation, it's um, maybe we could say that the um, the goal and uh, the path to the goal become one. You know, so if the goal is peace, do we get to peace by struggling, by fighting, by resisting, by um, pushing by striving 
you know, try it. <laughs> you know, I've tried it. And um, the problem is not that it doesn't work. The problem is that it almost works, you know. So we can sort of use this usual mentality of, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to outsmart this. I'm going to strategize. I'm going to try harder. And then I'll be happy. Then I'll get what I want, you know. And um, so what we say in this practice is, if our goal is peace, then um, the, the path to that goal um, is about being peaceful. It's about learning to be more and more peaceful. Um, if our goal is um, to not be in conflict with what's happening, the path is um, learning how to harmonize, maybe. Rather than trying harder, um, sometimes I like to, I think this phrase, try softer. You know, what is it to try softer? We, we know how to try harder. Um, but what is it to develop this soft, flexible mind? You know, like bamboo is one of the strongest, you know, strongest materials or something because it, it bends. You know, if we're, if we're tight, if we're brittle, um, rigid, then um, it's easy to break. But the softer we are, the more flexible we are, we can, we can hang in there. We can, we can um, you know, as things change, um, we have this ability to stay with things. So, so something about the nature of our effort. And, and so sometimes in the practice, we, um, rather than this sort of, I'm going to do this and get this result, we, we, we talk about practice as, as almost like making a garden. You know, when you, when you garden, you create all the conditions. You, you know, you have the soil, you have the sun, the seeds, the water. But um, you, so we create the conditions and then we have a, we, we care for it and, and, you know, water and do, but it takes a lot of patience, a lot of patience. And in the right time, in the right season, uh, something wonderful can grow. So um, we, you know, to something about that, so paying it, giving, giving attention to the ground, you know, the ground is not often not that interesting, <laughs> you know, it's just dirt, <laughs> but the ground is very important. If you have great soil, you can grow something wonderful. A friend was telling me about, um, lettuce that they grew that lasted a month <laughs> because the soil was so powerful, you know? So if we give attention to the soil, um, you know, something wonderful can grow. So, um, what I, a topic I wanted to share some words about, uh, this afternoon is this idea of non-conflict to not be in conflict with, 
with ourselves, with others, with, um, you know, with life, with how things are. What does it mean to not be in conflict? And this is, this is, you know, just another sort of flavor of what Inez was talking about yesterday with this idea of non-clinging and letting go. Um, sometimes the, the goal of practice is articulated as to be at peace, to be at peace with, with things, to be at peace with ourselves. It's beautiful. Um, but um, we can get the idea that this kind of peace is some particular state or some special state, you know, which I don't have now, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> but maybe one day I will. And, and then, but I'll have another problem because if I have it, I have to hold on to it, right? So, um, but to not be in conflict with things, it's flexible. You know, we cannot be in conflict with anything. You know, it's like whatever arises, what is it to not be in conflict with that? Um, One of the um, themes that I find very interesting in practice and um, I think speaks to this about non-conflict is the idea of mastery versus surrender. You know, and it's a little bit like what I was saying before. It's like, are we practicing to master something? You know, I'm going to wrestle, I'm going to wrestle this thinking mind to the ground or I'm going to get hold of the breath and just stay with every breath. Um, mastery implies a kind of control, you know. And sur surrender is, you know, maybe in some ways the opposite of that. What is it to surrender to how things are? You know? um, there's a little story about this, and I, I tried to look it up and you know, so I could say, tell it accurately, but I couldn't find it. It's possible I'm making it up, <laughs> but I, I know I read it somewhere. But there is a, um, there's a style of Buddhist practice uh, of, of Zen, the Zen and the Zen school. And they do these meditation retreats and they're very intensive and they're very high energy. So, um, and in this style of retreat, the teacher gives the master, gives you a question. It's like a riddle, like a koan that, you, that you're supposed to work on during your meditation. Um, and then you meet with the master five times a day. You know, you have a seven day retreat, right? So you're gonna see him 35 or 40 times. And you go in and you give your answer. And, and then the master is sitting there and they, you know, they, they respond, they say something to you. And so in my memory, this is a story of, about, you know, Richard Gere, the actor who has a Buddhist practice. And he was in Southern California sitting one of these very intensive retreats. And the, it was on Mount Baldy. Some of you may know this place. And the teacher was uh, Sasaki Roshi, who's a old, you know, sits like a mountain, Japanese priest and he died a few years ago. I think he was a hundred and 
seven or something. So this may have been when he was just a kid, you know, 90 or something. And, and he, you know, so I don't remember what the question was, but the, a, a usual question for this is like, um, or the question I got when I, when I was doing this kind of practice was before mother and father, um, show me your original face. You know, a question like this. Um, so, okay, before mother and father, show me your original face. So you go to the master six times a day, five times a day, and give your answer. And the master, like Sasaki Roshi, would have a bell. And when he rings the bell, you leave, you know. So, <laughs> so you know, the first few days, so, you know, Richard Gere is telling the story, right? You know, the first, he goes in and... He opens the door, looks at the master. Master looks at him, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> okay. So, you know, at the end of the second day, he finally gets to sit down. You know, you sit down in front of the master. So he gets to sit down and, you know, says something, gives his answer. And the, and the master, you know, just has a kind of no expression at all stone face just you know gives his answer and then ding 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 rings the bell God, get out. so again and again day after day he's going in and it's very intensive because when you're not having this encounter you're meditating a lot you know kind of like we are but in this very focused concentrated way and there's a lot of energy and a lot of tension and when you go to see the master you run and whoever runs, gets there first, gets the, you know, first spot to, to see. And then you just go in. So, okay, day three, five times a day, run, ding, 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 get out, ding, ding, get out, get out, get out. Um, finally, day six, <laughs> last meeting, um, Richard, you know, here, the, the student, he's had it. So he goes in. And, and, and when you're giving your answer, you're really... You're really giving your heart. You're really, you know, this with so much sincerity and so much you want to show who you are, right? Um, your original face. And so he gives his answer. And um, Sasaki Roshi looks at him, rings the bell. <laughs> and then he gets, he's, he's so frustrated. He says, screw you. This is bullshit. You know, and Sasaki Roshi looks up at him and says, Getting closer, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know what do we? What do, you know? Something about surrendering. Something about giving up. You know. And when we do that, something real can happen. Something authentic is allowed to happen. Um, and. You know, and th that's very specific to that context. But I think in, in our practice, um, you know, sometimes we can get to a point when we stop struggling with the contents of our mind. You know, we sit down and we realize that there's going to be some mix of um, awareness and uh, delusion. 
there's going to be some mix of thinking and presence and hearing and 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 there can be some shift into harmonizing with this where um, the, the things that would have distracted us and would have disturbed us um, are allowed to be so fully what they are that they're like just expressions of the moment, you know, whether it's a, a thought, whether it's a mo an emotion, a fear, it's just allowed to be what it is, you know. Um, so, it, so in my way of thinking, this is getting closer to this idea of non-conflict, to not be in conflict with what's happening. Um, so when we meditate, we, we may have the intention to um, follow the breath and pay attention to the breath. That's fine. That's great. But then if something else arises that is is more compelling, you know, some, some thought or some strong feeling or emotion. If, if the emotion or the, or the thought is pulling us in one way, and we have this intention to stay with the breath this other way, what is that? That's conflict. You know, we're in conflict. So it's, it's our koan, it's our riddle to how do, how do I resolve this conflict? And um, sometimes we can let go of the thought or let go of you know, whatever's going on. But often it's that um, rather than letting go of it, we turn towards it and we make whatever is happening, whatever we're feeling, um, you know, it may be an emotion um, like sadness or, you know, anger or, you know, whatever. That becomes our meditation, like what Inez was talking about this morning. And we... Um, we feel it in the body, we uh, feel the energy around it, we breathe with it, we meet it with kindness. Um, so this is one way of resolving conflict. Um, I also think about um, uh, um, you know, I think each of us in our life will be uh, given or um, will be tasked with the, um, the the problem of of dealing with something that's very hard to accept that we don't want to accept um, I have a friend who uh, very sadly uh, her um, six-year-old son died passed away and he, there had been a long kind of illness and uh, kind of a very complicated situation. But um, it's like, uh, does it make sense to tell her to um, don't cling, just accept it, you know? And um, no, you know, no. It's like um, she... Uh, she, she hasn't uh, arranged a funeral yet. I mean, this was like three months ago or something. And I wondered if there's something, you know, um, anyway, you know, this is a very hard thing to accept. And, um, but what I um, would say to her 
is um, that um, maybe in this case, the, what's wise and what's helpful is, is to accept that it hurts, you know, is to accept the emotion, to accept what we're going through and the natural humanity of that, you know. Um, there's a story in, uh, in, in the Buddhist tradition about a woman uh, called Kisa, Kisa Gotami, who you know, some of you will know, know this story. And she also lost her child and she was devastated. And um, as the story goes, she was carrying her child, you know, her child's body around to different healers and teachers and uh, friends. And, and then someone told her, um, there's only one person who can help you. You need to go talk to the Buddha. So I said, okay. And um, she went to go see the Buddha. And the Buddha said, yeah, yeah, I can help you. Um, what you need to do is gather these certain ingredients, you know, mustard seed and this plant and this thing. It's okay, okay, I can get that, I can get that, you know. She needs some medicine, right, for her child and uh, who, who's dead. And, and, and the Buddha says, but there's one, one thing. You need to get these ingredients from a home that has never been touched by death. You need to get this from a home that's never been touched by death. Okay. So she goes around and she goes from house to house and she asks, do you have this? Do you have mustard seed? Do you have this plant. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, has, has anyone ever died here? Has anyone in your family ever died? And I said, well, yeah, you know, so-and-so and my mother and this and that. I said, oh, okay, no, I can't. And, you know, so, so she goes from house to house and family to family, um, but can't find anyone who has not been uh, touched, personally touched by death. And um, in, in this process, you know, as the story goes, she has an awakening and she realizes that um, as personally, as, as deeply as she is hurting and as she is touched and she is grieving, um, it's so personal that at the same time, there's something universal, you know, about this that it's not, um, on some level, it's not a mistake. You know, it's like um, change is the nature of things. Um, death is a universal um, truth. And in, in, in seeing this, she's able to accept what has happened and able to um, let go of her child and you know, as the story goes, she becomes a, uh, she becomes a nun and, and the Buddha ordains her. And, and, and I think she was the first nun, maybe, or one of the early nuns and, and, um, becomes a great teacher and a very wise, wise person, um, in seeing this in, in, um, 
being able to, in some way, find a way to not be in conflict with what's true. So, um, there's a, there's another story that, um, some of you might have heard about the, uh, in, in the South Pacific, there are islands that are part of Japan, you know, the Okinawan island chains. And these islands had seen a lot of fighting uh, during the war, during World War II. And because they're not, you know, it's all jungle, basically. Um, uh, after the Japanese surrendered and the war was over, um, the Americans, uh, you know, even to this day, have, have you know, have a base uh, on, on the main island of Okinawa. But there's, there's hundreds of islands and there's tiny islands and they go. And about 15 years after the war, it was discovered that there were some Japanese soldiers who had been left behind. And they had been sent out, you know, far deep into the jungle and into these islands, you know, this kind of uh, vanguard or something, you know, there. And um, somehow it was discovered that there were still, you know, so in the 60s, it was there were early 70s or something, so that there, there were still soldiers from, from the war 15 years ago. And um, so there was a question of what to do, to do, what to do about this. And a decision was taken from the Japanese government that they would call out some of the veterans from the war who had, you know, been civilians for years. And they got, you know, they flew them down there and they got their old uniforms on and they took one of the old boats and they went out into these, you know, in the waterways, into the jungle, to where these soldiers were spotted. So, so they called to these soldiers. And after searching a long time and calling and, and using the kind of lingo that they use, they call, they call out, you know, to the other, to the soldiers who were, who were there, who were, had been left behind, who were still um, believed that the war was going on. And they called them and the, and the soldiers came out. And um, what was moving for me about this story was rather than ridiculing, you know, them or, you know, saying, hey, you know, don't you know, it's, you know, the war's over and, you know, whatever. Um, they bowed to the soldiers, you know, they bowed to them and they said, um, you know, thank you for your efforts. Uh, thank you for... Um, your loyalty and your your willingness to keep to keep doing this to keep um, you know to keep fighting and they and brought but you know and but they very you know gently told them um, now the war is over and now you can come home and brought them back and had a big parade for them you know in in Japan and um, you know so. It's like, what, is it possible 
that um, is it possible that there are some wars that we're still fighting, some battles that we're still fighting, that, um, you know, sometimes it's like, uh, not that helpful to say, let it go, get over it, or, you know, but rather it's almost like bowing to that part of us that um, doesn't know that we don't need to, um, you know, we, you know, that the, the things have changed and, and we don't need, we don't need this sort of um, protection anymore. Um, so, I, I think many of us uh, come to a retreat like this and discover that there are much younger parts, much younger versions of us, <laughs> you know, that are still alive. You know, there's one, there's one idea that we're not only the age we are, but we're every single age we've ever been, you know. And what is the six-year-old in me, and the 10-year-old in me, the 15-year-old in me, um, what, what battles are, is, is he or she still fighting? Or what is she still, what, what habits of mind, what um, defense mechanisms is, is that person um, still being so loyal to us, wanting to help us, wanting to, um, protect us, you know, so can we turn to that part of ourselves and say, thank you, thank you for caring for me, and um, that war is over, you know, we can, we can come home again. And, um, so, um, one of the uh, most helpful pieces of advice that um, I was given on retreat um, is this idea of becoming sensitive to um, any sense of struggle. You know, is there is there some place in the meditation that I'm struggling with? And if there's a sense of struggle, it often means that um, something is not being open to, something is not being accepted, you know, and, and maybe the fundamental um, conflict, you know, inner conflict or the fundamental duality that many of us deal with is how I am versus how I think I should be, you know, and so how I am versus how I think I should be. And um, um, to become to become really alive to this, to become really sensitive to this, to um, in what way does what's happening right now somehow not feel enough, or somehow not feel right, or there's something else? Um, and and this is a a conflict that. Um, that is possible to resolve, you know, and maybe it's idealistic to say that it will always be resolved or something, but um, 
I think this this is a very um, I think for many of us uh, a very important aspect of the practice. Um, if I have some sense that what's happening now shouldn't be happening, <coughs> some way, you know, that's really good to check out. Check out that um, idea. Check out that assumption. Um, So, you know, in the same way that we, we often say that the path to non-clinging is through our clinging, is to study our clinging, to really get to know how am I holding on? How am I resisting? How am I uh, not accepting something? Maybe we can say the path to being a person who is not in conflict is through studying all the different ways that we find ourselves in conflict, in conflict with ourselves, or in conflict with um, what's happening. Um, so a couple of questions that um, may be helpful in this. One is, um, right now, what what needs to be um, what needs to be resolved or understood or let go um, to not be in conflict um, and then maybe the the other side of that is what needs to be cared for what needs to be held what needs to be um, met with kindness in order to resolve some of these conflicts, you know, in our heart. Um, one of the, um, one of the, sent, this is a chant, that, that's, um, my understanding is that it's chanted in Southeast Asian Buddhist countries um, at different times and at, you know, funerals and other times. But it's, it's sort of like going to the heart of this question. And, and the translation that, that we use here is, all conditioned things are impermanent. So anything that can be experienced with this body and mind is, is changing, is impermanent, is not constant. You know, so all conditioned things are impermanent. They arise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth, um, to to find a way to not be in conflict with this truth, is the greatest happiness. So right there is this this not to not be in conflict to. Um, To bring to bring this truth to peace is the greatest happiness. You know, it's not just like, you know, okay, um, I'll accept it and, you know, okay, and then I'll do <laughs> you know say this is the greatest happiness to be to be so to be so in tune with the nature of things. And um so, 
And yeah, and just, and, and what kind of effort, what kind of effort um, supports this path of non-conflict? Um, what, what would it look like to um, live a life where we're, that we're, we're, um, we're a person at peace, we're a person at e- at, who has, um, who's at ease um, with how things are? I know in my life, in the, the people um, who embody that for me are tremendous sources of uh, strength and support. And, um, you know, I feel like some of my teachers, it's like there isn't anything I couldn't bring to them that, you know, I mean, Mel, especially, you know, I once asked Mel, what do you, um, what's in your mind when a student comes to you with something? And he just said, everything is okay, you know, and just this, just this, this ability to meet what's happening and accept it and, um, uh, you know, it, it's, you're with someone who's in tune with nature, with how things are, and then and then you can see it, you know, you know, something has shifted just a little bit. You can see it. So not, not only is this for our own happiness, but um, the more we can be in harmony with the truth of things, then that's a, a tremendous gift to others because there's so much um, um, pain and suffering and there's so much, uh, you know, in this world and it's hard. There are things that are very, very hard to accept. So um, if we can support others in, in waking up together um, is, you know, is a beautiful thing. Um, I thought maybe I would end with uh, this poem that I read last night. Um, because again, I think it, it's, it's a poetic expression of what does it mean to not be in conflict, not be in conflict with the truth of things. And so this is the, this is the Zen monk, uh, Ryokan, Ryokan. Where did my life come from? Where will it go? Meditating by the window of my tumble-down hut, I search my heart, absorbed in silence. But I search and search and still don't know where it all began. How will I ever find where it ends? Even the present moment can't be pinned down. Everything changes. Everything is empty. And in that emptiness, this I exists only for a little while. How can one say anything is or is not? Best just to hold to these little thoughts 
let things simply take their way and so be natural and at your ease. So let's just sit for a minute. Even the present moment can't be pinned down. Everything changes. Everything is empty. And in that emptiness, this I exists only for a little while. How can one say anything is or is not? Best just to hold to these little thoughts. Let things simply take their way and so be natural and at your ease. Thank you very much.